Welcome back, everyone, to Mike on Money. My name is Michael LeBlanc, Director and Senior Portfolio Manager at Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management. And thanks for joining us here again this week. Uh, remember, Tuesdays are live. So today we're doing a live market update. And we're going to talk about uh, investing using the 1640 rules. So some people call that invest uh, balance portfolios, uh, you know, where you have a fixed uh, mix between fixed income and equities. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about that. Uh, what's good, what's bad, and kind of what we're seeing out there. I've done a couple other deep dive videos to the 60-40 rule. Uh, you can find it at our channel at mikeonmoney.com. Uh, and of course, as always, if you have any questions, reach out to us and we're happy to, to answer those. Uh, before we dive into things, of course, as always, keep in mind, this is for information purposes only. Uh, always do your own due diligence or reach out to a, a professional advisor like ourselves happy to see if any of these strategies or any of these um, these uh, these portfolio techniques apply to your situation or are right for your uh, your particular uh, strategy that you're trying to implement. So reach out to us again. You can go to mikeonmoney.com. Uh, and of course, that applies if you're watching us live here. Uh, by all means, ask your questions uh, today. I will try to get to them before the end. If you are watching on the replay or the podcast, um, just go to our, our website and uh, we'll, we'll happily answer all those questions for you. So with that, let's start off things as we do every week. Uh, at some point, we might not have to have this at the beginning of all our webinars, but a COVID update. Uh, of course, you know, the, in Canada here, things in general, uh, you know, despite being pockets and there's still challenges out there, in general, uh, things in Canada are doing quite well with probably the biggest exception being Alberta. Uh, you know, new numbers out this morning uh, around the number of hospitalizations, um, you know, just tax in the, uh, the hospitals right now and the medical professions, professionals, uh, they're, they're, they're at the brink of, of, of collapse, I guess, or a failure as far as their medical system goes right now. So a lot of challenges in Alberta. Uh, and I know they've even started moving some patients to Ontario where there's a little bit more capacity right now. Uh, we're going to have to see how that unfolds. Uh, overall, uh, as mentioned across Canada, still doing fairly well. Here in BC, uh, the numbers are still a little bit higher than they'd like per capita, but uh, still within manageable ranges. Uh, they just rolled out, I believe it was yesterday, uh, children in school uh, with mass, mass mandates from kindergarten through grade 12. <clears throat> um, kind of funny, they didn't kind of start with that. But anyway, uh, they, they've put that into place to just slow down anything within the schools. Because of course, the, the, the major outbreaks here in Canada or the, the higher number is uh, centered around younger, uh, younger people because those are the uh, the ones that haven't been va vaccinated to highest percentage as the uh, the older percentage, the older population, uh, as they were first in line to get it, and uh, so that's moving along. And of course, some provinces of Canada are also starting to introduce that booster or the third vaccine uh, for those who are immune compromised. Uh, and I know uh, Ontario, New Brunswick, and I believe BC is moving that uh, moving in that direction. So. 
you know, again, we talked about in previous weeks, the idea of an annual booster um, shouldn't, shouldn't, you know, be a surprise or shock. Uh, very similar to that, to that flu vaccine that we have to get every year. So, uh, you know, keep it just to keep the numbers in check and keep things under control uh, and to prevent, you know, the big thing is to prevent that uh, mutation, right? New variants from new, stronger variants that might be uh, uh, ineffective uh, with the vaccines. So that's what we're really trying to achieve. Of course, around the world, uh, we're still seeing numbers all, around, all over the place. The U.S. is still pretty high. Again, more pockets in the U.S. They have started to introduce um, more restrictions like we've seen here in Canada, uh, meaning indoor masks. And uh, certainly we're seeing a lot more venues and states uh, requiring uh, the vaccines to go back to work. New York's got a big one coming up uh, here this week where they're introducing a vaccine for healthcare workers that have to have it uh, or they go on unpaid leave. Uh, and, and that's going to be a big test because there's already a shortage of healthcare workers. So what is that going to mean? Uh, so New York's the first state to, you know, basically say, have it or you're out. Um, but there are certain more and more states are starting to introduce the vaccine mandates uh, and, and venue mandates, right? So if you want to go to a concert, you want to go to a movie, you, you, you want to go uh, almost anywhere, you need to show proof uh, that, that vaccine passport. So more and more of that's uh, going through. We're still seeing protests um, around the concept of vaccine passport and some confusion, uh, you know, as every province seems to be rolling out their own version and, and their own way to apply it. Uh, there's just, I think there's still a little bit of confusion out there on that. But <clears throat> things are still going well, so let's keep a watch on what's going on there. So let's jump into the economy. Uh, in the US, uh, we are looking for the home price index uh, coming out for July and the consumer uh, confidence index for September. Uh, so just keeping an eye on those, uh, especially with the surge in home prices that we've seen. Um, you know, as that continues, it's flattening. We've seen a lot of flattening, in, in, again, in, in most areas in Canada, there's still pockets of, uh, of price growth uh, around the home, uh, home prices. And so we're going to see if we see that down in the U.S. And of course, the consumer price, uh, consumer confidence uh, numbers for September, uh, and those should be really good. Uh, early expectations for those are people are fairly bullish as far as uh, the general economy goes. Government bond yields kind of hit their highest level in the last three months. So if you didn't watch last week's video, go back and watch that. We talked about stagflation and reflation, and uh, this is exactly what we're talking about. Uh, we are expecting that surge before we see that level off, leveling off uh, as the supply chain comes back into um, comes back into uh, uh, um, kind of re refills, or I guess or get caught up a bit. Uh, and where we saw most of the sell-off, and certainly there's a big sell-off today, is around those tech stocks. Again, for the last <clears throat> several months now, we've talked about 2021 being that shift away from. Uh, the tech sector, those growth sectors are moving more towards the value. And we're really starting to see that now. That doesn't mean there's not going to be growth or there's not good tech companies out there. It just simply means that the, the, the bulk of the returns that we're going to see in 2021 are not going to be driven by those sectors. That was 2020 story for sure. Uh, but in 2021, uh, we're, we're starting to see that level off a bit. Those growth numbers got a little bit ahead of themselves. Uh, and we're seeing more and more movement into, into value. 
the the Fed chair is going to speak um, speak to the Senate this week as well, just talk about the economic recovery plan. Uh, other highlights, uh, hedge funds, um, you know, score uh, taper trade uh, hat trick. Basically what we're seeing is the hedge funds uh, who sold the treasury positions, uh, you know, for much cheaper, uh, uh, much cheaper prices. And on the yield curve, as it flattens out, you know, are starting to make money on that. Uh, we are seeing more money uh, being made in the tactical fixed income. And we're going to talk a bit about that when we talk about the 60-40 rule at the end here. Uh, and it's important to make sure that uh, in this stagflation, reflation market, to uh, you know, long bonds are not going to be your 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 friend. They're not going to help your portfolios. Uh, you're going to have to be a lot more tactical. Uh, and we're going to talk a little bit about the hedge fund strategies, and of course, we're going to talk about tactical strategies as well. Uh, electric supercars need to lose some weight, uh, power up, and cool down. Uh, obviously, this is the uh, you know the race out there for. Uh, supercars uh, and cars in general to go electric, you know, before climate policy starts to cut their uh, combustion engines use. Uh, and we're seeing this a lot of race teams, uh, you know, if you're a race car fan, uh, in any of the circuits, a lot of them are moving to, or at least building research uh, around um, electric vehicles. And we're going to talk about an IPO today called Polestar, which is an electric vehicle manufacturer actually came the, the vehicle itself or the technology development came from the Volvo race team. So we're seeing a lot more of that come, in, come into market as well. Oil prices are climbing with a little help of those hedge funds as they make bet uh, on the oil demand. And uh, we're gonna dive a bit more, so I'm not gonna spend a lot of time on that right now. Uh, we'll talk a little bit more about energy and oil prices uh, for uh, in the next couple of months as well. Uh, the US Senate, uh, uh, Senate Democrats brace for a loss in the showdown over the vote on the debt ceiling. And that's where we're seeing the volatility today. And of course, that happened last night uh, is the, uh, the Republicans voted down raising the debt ceiling. So the ability of the US government to borrow more money. Uh, and of course, that means they can't pay their bills. Uh, I believe the date that they run out is October 18th. This is not the first time Senate, the Senate has pushed uh, back against the debt ceiling in order to negotiate over other issues. Uh, and obviously the Republicans have a lot of issues with the Biden administration, whether it be so, their social agendas or um, the Green New Deal or the uh, infrastructure package uh, that's up for vote as well. So the, pretty much what we're seeing is a negotiation tactic, a little bit of uh, probably overreaction in the market today uh, as some concerns over this uh, kind of bottleneck in the Senate. Uh, which don't be surprised. The Senate seems to be bottlenecking on almost every issue uh, that goes uh, that goes through there these days. Uh, strong U.S. business uh, spending on equipment has seen as a you know the big part of their GDP growth for Q3, uh, and this goes to you know a lot of automation upgrades to plants, new computers and electronics. Uh, this is the kind of back to work economy. Uh, everything from office, um, you know, office space to manufacturing uh, has had to uh, deal with employment shortages, first of all. So, you know, more automation, so they need fewer people, uh, but also spacing people more, which means using more technology, uh, using more, uh, you know, auto automated technology. Uh, a lot of companies have gone to a hybrid uh, called hotelin, where some employees work at home 
part-time, they're in the office part-time, they don't have a permanent desk at home, but they've had to set them up at home with um, computers and electronics uh, to be able to connect into the, uh, the corporate systems. And of course, all the, uh, that hardware all has to be secured for, for cybersecurity. So a lot of spending on that front has, has occurred and that's driving quite a bit of Q3. Uh, and we've also seen, you know, the big area of this uh, lack of employment is in the service industry or the hourly, the lower pay and hourly uh, work. And if you've been into any fast food restaurant these days, well, any restaurant really, you've seen the effects of those shortages. A lot of your favorite restaurants are probably not open as much or they shorten the menus because they just can't get the staff uh, to, to be open all the time or, or offer the diversity of services. Uh, but we've also seen on the fast food front, um, you know, which generally are minimum wage jobs switch into more uh, automated tellers or automated order systems, uh, not only because uh, wages, wage pressure is going up, but also they just can't find people. So there's a lot of spending on those fronts. Uh, on, the, on the Fed side, the, the bond tapering still hinges over continued job growth. Uh, and this is back to the inflation uh, story. You know, so how quickly are they looking at tapering? Um, what's that going to look? And, you know, it's really teeter-totter between the employment report uh, and, of course, uh, economic growth. Those are the two factors that are going to affect how quickly they do that. They don't want to stifle growth, and they want to make sure that the employment numbers uh, stay strong as well. Global oil demand is reaching uh, the pre-pandemic levels, uh, should be there by early 2022. So that's why we're seeing the hedge funds um, lean a little bit into that sector. I mentioned uh, over the last couple of weeks, uh, you know, we definitely energy does well in an inflationary market. Uh, but, you know, the bigger thing that we're seeing uh, that's underpinning a bit, a bit of this, um, you know, if, if I've done some deep dives into oils. If you want to go look at my longer term projections on kind of oil demand, uh, you know, it is, it is global oil demand is decreasing over time. Uh, as we switch to new technologies. But you know, the key thing to keep in mind uh, through that process, and that's definitely what we're seeing right now, is the switch from uh, renewables from oil doesn't happen or, for, or from fossil fuels doesn't happen overnight. Uh, you know, whether it be solar or wind or, 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 or any of these other technologies, um, it takes time to get that capacity in place. And, and it will take time. It'll take the best part of 10 years uh, to certainly get to uh, a massive tipping point. So, you know, energy or fossil fuels as a sector is not going away. And we're seeing a lot of challenges where governments are, of course, and corporations, you know, like we, met, we talked about last week, BP making a massive shift to renewable, uh, kind of moving away from investment in the energy or the fossil fuel side of things. Uh, but that's leaving a bit of a gap, gap on the supply side of things, uh, or, and it will continue. So there will still be demand. We will still see that increase in pricing, uh, maybe even more than we normally would have on the uh, on the energy side, uh, as the you know the world is trying to catch up with renewables. So we'll keep a close eye on that. But certainly, 2021, as I mentioned, is a uh, you know our forecast is energy should do well. Uh, EV makers, I mentioned earlier, Polestar is striking a $20 billion deal, uh, you know, to use a SPAC, uh, you know, again, a SPAC, Special Purpose Acquisition Corporation. We did a deep dive on that one as well. By all means, uh, go in and, uh, and watch that if you're curious. 
they're raising 20 billion to go public. Uh, is that a good valuation? You know, this goes back to my EV story or electric vehicle story. Uh, I'm not super keen on the manufacturers. Uh, you know, Tesla, of course, being probably the most uh, popular one out there. Uh, not to say they're not going to go up, not to say there's not growth stories and not to say that, uh, that they're not going to do well. My big concern around them is the valuations are really, really high. We're seeing massive new competition coming into the market as far as EV uh, makers go. Um, my preference is to play the supply chain side of things. So all the parts and components that go into these things, because then you don't have to pick which manufacturer is the winner they're all going to have to buy these supplies and they're all going to have to buy the parts. Uh, and I think that's the, the, the better side of things. So uh, Polestar, is, is, it, is the valuation 20 billion low? It's probably going to go up because there's a lot of hype around that market right now. Uh, certainly a lot of interest. It should do well. But my general uh, preference is to focus on the supply chain over the manufacturers. I did test drive a Polestar, by the way. Um, nice vehicle. Not overly impressed, but nice vehicle. Uh, kind of costly, actually, for where you get. Uh, sorry, let's uh, let's dive into the U.S. Uh, the conference board. I mentioned the consumer price index. Uh, sorry, the consumer confidence index is expected to rise for September, so we keep a really close eye on that. Uh, again, we're probably going to see that bullish into the uh, into the Christmas season or into the, uh, the end of the year. Uh, I mentioned that so the Fed Reserve is going to be talking at at the Senate. Uh, Micron Technology is expected to uh, report a rise in fourth quarter earnings based on that chip uh, shortage. So, again, pretty much any chip manufacturer is going to be doing well in, in the next quarter. Uh, there's a chip shortage for, for everything from phones to vehicles. Uh, everything has a microchip in it these days, probably your toaster. So uh, there's just a huge demand around that um, that was caused by that supply chain uh, shutdown. Uh, Facebook has put the Instagram for kids on hold uh, amid criticism. Who could have seen that one coming? Uh, basically, if you haven't followed this story, Facebook was looking to introduce a different version of Instagram. So the social media Instagram, uh, they want to come out with a version for kids 13 and under because uh, the current Instagram is designed or supposed to be only for kids 13 and above or people 13 and above. Um, and they got a lot of backlash, you know, uh, because of course, social media, you know, the concern around social media that teenagers uh, and people in general, uh, you know, already face a lot of bullying and, and, and problems around being online. Facebook's argument was the kids are already online. We should try to make the environment safer for them by coming out with a version for them. So there is something to that argument. The big challenge is how do you do that? Because they can't do it with their current uh, offering with Instagram. So really, what are they able to, to put into place uh, to be more protection for the kids? And, and, and of course, there's bad actors out there who would, who would you know, want to harm kids and, and try to take advantage of those platforms. So that's been shelved for a while. They said it's, uh, it's not off, uh, it's not gone permanently, but they, they decided to, to shelve the idea for a while. Uh, maybe while they try to figure out what that would look like and, and and communicate it better to the marketplace before they, they move ahead. Google's in a big fight in the EU uh, over uh, a record, um, uh, record set in fine that they got of the 4.3 billion euros, uh, kind of blaming the regulators for ignoring Apple and other big tech companies. Uh, this goes back to this global 
tech fight that we're seeing. You know, the big, huge companies, kind of the antitrust fights, uh, basically saying that, uh, you know, Google is uh, using unfair business practices in related to the, their Android operating, operating system, uh, which is why they're saying, well, you know, look at Apple. They're even worse than we are. Uh, they should have a big fine too. So they're fighting that, that, that fine. It will probably come down in appeal. Uh, it is a pretty big record set of number uh, and not likely to stand where it is right now. But this antitrust um, theme that we're seeing in courts, you know, we talked about a couple of weeks ago, we talked about uh, in the US, there's a big new antitrust laws coming out and antitrust court cases uh, by the Fed in the US, but also by the states. Uh, targeting almost all the big companies, Amazon, Google, Apple, uh, Microsoft, uh, all, all equally. Wells Fargo, this is an ongoing case we've talked about. Uh, they, they've, they're looking, or they uh, agreed to settle uh, the class action lawsuit over overcharged customers uh, in the tune of $37 million. And this goes years back when they were opening accounts for people who didn't even ask for them and just started charging them. Uh, but uh, the employees and management were all getting bonused off of, you know, the massive number of new accounts that they were open trying to make their financials look better. So they're settling a uh, lawsuit there to kind of put it behind them. It's been going on for quite some time. Uh, I think it goes all the way back to memory serves me somewhere around 2017 or maybe 2016. So it goes back quite a ways. Uh, and it's just kind of the, the, the final payouts, hopefully, uh, to put it behind them as well. Pfizer's beginning a study uh, of an oral drug to prevent COVID-19. So instead of a vaccine, an oral solution, early stages, I wouldn't get too excited yet. Um, hopefully uh, there is uh, some, uh, some advancement on that front and that, uh, that we can move forward with that. Uh, but also Pfizer also announced this week that they're moving forward with mRNA for the flu uh, vaccine. So they're taking that technology uh, which has been around for a long time. In fact, I, I was reading some research. It goes all the way back to 72 when they started work on this. Um, I think there's a really good documentary about it. Uh, so, so it wasn't something that you know, just came out for COVID. Uh, but the reason why it was faster for COVID is because uh, all that research was focused around uh, you know, that COVID strain, SARS, um, flu, uh, and of course, COVID-19, which are all in kind of the same viral family. Uh, and uh, that's how they were able to uh, get it out for, for COVID-19 uh, as quickly as they did. So now they're taking what they did there and uh, looking at the, the yearly flu virus and seeing if they can apply that as effectively. So that might be good as it's shown to be uh, one of the more effective vaccines that we have available out, uh, out for COVID right now. Apple's new iPhone, it's going to take longer to get customers. So if you order the Apple, uh, the new iPhone 13, ah, surprise, surprise, the supply chain is being taxed, uh, you know, harder for them to, uh, to get manufacturing and get it out. Uh, not really the chip supply in this scenario, uh, just because Apple switched to uh, building all their own chips. It's just their manufacturers are just busy uh, making all kinds of uh, products and they just can't keep up with the demand. So if you were hoping to get an iPhone 13 sooner than later, uh, you might have to wait a little bit. On the Canadian front, uh, Canada's uh, looking to lure uh, US frequent flyers uh, to Air Canada, or Canada's looking to lure the US frequent flyers by kind of offering perks to Americans who uh, have qualified for US uh, airline uh, frequent flyer um, 
levels. So uh, WestJet's done this in the past uh, for, for many Air Canada flyers. Uh, you know, they would offer them gold status if you had higher status at Air Canada uh, as kind of a freebie to kind of encourage them to, to, to go over. So Air Canada is doing that uh, with uh, American, uh, different American airlines. So if you fly a lot with American, um, not American airlines, which is an airline, but uh, uh, airlines who are based in the US and you have status with those airlines, you might be able to uh, get that matched by Air Canada. Uh, just trying to lure you onto their flights. So uh, we'll see how they do. Obviously, there's a big battle for um, passengers these days with still the travel reopening being, being a bit slow. Uh, Canada's clean energy lobby uh, groups call for changes to the draft in the clean standards rule, uh, fuel, clean fuel standards, sorry about that. Um, obviously a flagship piece of the climate regulation here in Canada has been our clean fuel standard. And with our recent election in Trudeau going into his third term, I know, I don't think he's finished one completely without calling an early election yet, though. Uh, but the industry is now pushing him to, to come up with something uh, more, more targeted to achieve that net zero emissions. Uh, and that goes back to what I was talking about earlier. You know, great goal. Um, I don't think anyone would argue against the goal. It's like, how quickly can we do it? Um, because it's not always just about uh, commitment or even in some cases money, uh, it, it takes time to get uh, to, to, to switch over uh, because building build in those cleaner fuels or those renewable fuels take time and, it, and, and it's, not, you know, it's not a six month process in years. So, uh, so we'll see, you know, at some point the, uh, the, the regulation is going to have to face reality of, of what that looks like. Uh, and uh, the lobbyists, of course, are pushing for sooner than later, but, but there, there, is a, there is a fight between time and uh, an ability to wean off the fossil fuels to get to a net zero. Uh, China says Canada uh, should, uh, should draw lessons from the Huawei exact case. So if you didn't follow uh, the Huawei chief uh, CFO, uh, Ming Wen Hu, who uh, was, on house arrest here in Vancouver uh, since 2018, I believe, uh, over uh, espionage charges in the US. So the, she was being extradited or, or the US was trying to extradite her to the US to face charges. She struck a deal uh, or Huawei struck a deal with the US. Uh, she paid a fine uh, and they dropped, you know, she admitted she pled guilty, paid a fine and the charges went away. Um, and Canada, therefore, she doesn't need to be extradited. So Canada uh, released uh, released her. Uh, so she's headed back to China. China, and uh, almost immediately, uh, the two Michaels, the Canadians who were being held, I think their their, their prison sentence was set for eleven years on espionage over there, uh, were released and sent home, which is great news for them. Uh, you know, China says that they sent them home for health reasons. The U.S. is saying they were sent home because Biden made a phone call to China and said, you have to do this uh, and we'll strike a deal. Uh, who knows what happens? I'm sure the families around the two Michaels are extremely happy to have them home uh, and where Canada goes with uh, China from here as far as trade negotiations and, 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 and obviously relationships, uh, we'll have to keep a, a close eye on. So we talked about Evergrande last week. So Evergrande is the big uh, capital um, 
capital investment company in China, uh, mostly real estate uh, that uh, basically went into foreclosure. They were a verge of bankruptcy, uh, lots of people losing money, a lot of lenders losing money in the tunes of billions. Uh, and at the last moment, uh, and we saw markets dip there for a day where, where no one knew what was going to happen or who was affected, who held all the debt, basically. It was, it was pretty spread out globally, but not to the tune that any one company, I don't, in my opinion, I don't think any one company was you know, going, going to be devastated by it, not like 2008 financial crisis, but certainly uh, no one wanted to, uh, to see that happen. The Chinese government did backstop them at the last minute. Uh, so now it's kind of the battle of you know what to do with that debt. Uh, Blue Bay, which is uh, part of uh, Royal Bank Asset Management, uh, is out there. Blue Rock uh, is out. Or sorry, Black Rock is out there, um, accumulating some of that credit exposure uh, on the basically on the the bet or the gamble that you know China is going to continue to back it. And it's going to, uh, you know, uh, have a sharp turnaround or, or give them a better return. Uh, while we have other other companies out there like HSBC and CCW, uh, basically closing out the position, they're selling out. They just you know, don't want any exposure to it. They're moving on. So I still think it's a pretty big gamble at this point. Uh, you know, China, uh, while they have stopped into back back them uh, to some extent at this point. You know, whether they're going to 100% back them, uh, whether they're going to let some of the credit um, uh, default. Uh, it, it's completely, everything's on the table at this point. You know, China doesn't have a big history like the US or Canada to, to backstop the too large, too big to fail kind of companies. Uh, you know, they might very well let parts of it um, default on, on some of the loans. So we'll keep a close eye on what's going on there. On the U.S. dollar front, uh, we did see it rise, of course, as, as always, uh, when we see weakness in the market, which, of course, we're seeing today. Uh, you know, we saw the, the Treasury yield, uh, you know, head higher. Uh, of course, the dollar got a bit stronger. Uh, so it doesn't really change our outlook or trend. As the markets continue to perform, we will see the, the general trend down on the U.S. dollar. But look for, anytime there's volatility, look for strength in the U.S. dollar. Uh, and we talked about bonds kind of hitting, uh, hitting their high. On the oil front, we talked about that. Uh, it's moving its way quickly to the $80 barrel, barrel range. Uh, you know, again, going back from May 2020 when we hit minus $34 a barrel uh, just for one day, but it, it did hit there. Uh, we've come a long way, and that only looks like it's improving for all the reasons we've discussed. Natural gas is also kind of jumping almost 6%. Uh, you know, as more and more uh, thermits, people start turning up their furnaces uh, as we hit into the colder weather. Uh, that's pretty, uh, pretty standard for the season. Metal prices edge a little bit lower uh, based on the Fed Reserve uh, going to talk to the Senate uh, about their economic uh, recovery plan. Uh, and uh, three-month copper prices drop just slightly, not much, still holding in there very, very strong. Uh, same with gold, uh, slight, uh, slight drop as well. So let's take a look at the 60-40 environment, what that looks like, uh, and what we should expect uh, in portfolios. So if you, you just to give you the, the theme again, if you're really interested in, in, in kind of my thoughts and a deep dive into 60-40, and that's basically 60 equity, 40% fixed income bonds or, or anything else uh, that we considered fixed income, 
uh, go watch that video. Uh, you can go to MikeOnMoney.com and, and go to our, our YouTube channel and you, you'll see it there. Uh, but we do a deep dive into it. But just for today, I'm going to cover you know, kind of some of the key points uh, around the 60-40. So as we shift into this mid-cycle expansion, uh, you know, we have a high level of uh, unusually higher levels of uncertainty. So that's the volatility we're seeing, right? Uh, you know, any, any kind of spark will move the markets temporarily uh, ups or down, up or down. And, you know, with the inflation numbers, of course, we have the debt ceiling today affecting the markets. You know, a week or so ago, we had the Evergrande thing uh, affecting the market. So uh, any of these aspects are going to introduce volatility into the portfolio. Now, that's not a bad thing. Remember, volatility is your friend because, uh, especially if you're longer term investing, uh, because it allows you to buy at cheaper valuations or better valuations. So don't be afraid of volatility, but we definitely are going into this vol uh, volatile period. Uh, we're moving away from this peak growth, you know, where uh, 2020, where we saw the fall at the beginning of the pandemic and then kind of the steady uh, record market every day uh, as we saw steady growth happening. We're moving away from that growth. Again, that goes to the value, uh, the value theme that we've been talking about. You know, the Delta variant still out there. We still have the bottlenecks in the supply chain. Um, that's going to continue to be a challenge for those markets. Um, and, and just as growth is slowing, you know, we're looking at tapering, um, you know, liquidity in the market, you know, in, in interest rates. So that's a fine line that we've been, you know, covering for a while. Uh, you don't want to raise rates to stifle growth. You want to raise them enough to slow inflation, but you don't want to uh, stifle that growth. So we're in that, that, that fine tightrope walk uh, as far as those rates go uh, versus economic growth. And that's going to be uh, a tough line to watch. So how does that translate into the 60-40 rule? Well, the big challenge is whenever you see volatility, uh, correlations uh, tend to move to, to be positive. And what correlations are, just in a very brief sense, uh, most people equate it to, you know, stocks go up, bonds go down, bonds go up, stocks go down. It's not how it works. Correlation can be one-to-one, -one, meaning they, you, they, they, they move in unison, they all go up or they all go down together, uh, or they can be a fraction, right? It could be a 0 .7, uh, 0 0.7 correlated. So you move up slightly, but not as fast as the other one but you don't move down as fast as the other one. So correlation is, is, is anywhere from zero to one. Uh, and it's across not just asset classes like bonds and stocks, but it's between countries. It's between sectors. Uh, it's even, uh, the, you know, between um, uh, local geographies, uh, meaning like within Canada. So we track all kinds of correlations between all these different factors. And what happens when we go into volatile periods is they positively correlate. So the 60-40 premise, the efficient frontier or modern portfolio theory, which is all based on uh, basically saying, if, you know, your optimum blend is 40% bonds, 60% stocks. And if, uh, if, bonds, uh, if stocks go down, your 40% bonds will protect you. And if uh, stocks are going up and your bonds are underperforming, don't worry, the 6% stocks will outperform. So that's the concept behind it. But that positive correlation that we now see and we've been seeing for the better part of 10 years, even uh, the creator of modern portfolio theory, the um, Harvard uh, professor, uh, Markowitz, uh, has come out and said his theory no longer works. 
because of these positive correlations we see in the market. So it becomes, it becomes challenging to stick to that. And that's where a tactical approach becomes vital in a portfolio. And that's the ability to move away from those positive correlations when the risk starts getting higher and move into areas that are of the markets or geography or sectors that are not, um, that are behaving the way they're supposed to, right? So they're not being affected by whatever the underlying situation is. That doesn't mean you sell out everything, go into the one, one thing. That just means overweight and removing your portfolios away from certain areas of risk uh, during those, those periods of time. So, you know, as I mentioned, long government bonds, not a great, um, area to be looking at in this. So there are alternatives out there. I talked about tactical bonds, which we definitely have in the portfolios. There's inflation protected bonds, which we have in the portfolios. There's different areas you can look at to, again, still find those returns, but move away from some of the, the riskier volatility. So you want to gain exposure and growth, um, you know, uh, from those risky assets, but you want to be cautious. You want to be able to dampen that volatility and you want to find sources for your portfolio to mitigate risk. So defining a good strategy, well, you know, equities, uh, your basic sources are, are, are equities, fixed income, and alternatives, uh, alternatives being more kind of the, the hedge or private side of things. Uh, equities, you know, we want to tilt to those quality value stocks, you know, particularly long-term growth themes, the ones with solid growing cash flow. Can't stress that enough. Cash is always king. That's where you want to look. Fixed income, be defensive, right? Uh, look for strategies that are, are, are sought with maybe a little bit more credit risk, but a lot shorter, right? Stay away from the longer ones. Try to get the yields where you can, but a lot of due diligence goes into those, those higher, higher yield curves because you don't want to get caught in a default situation. You know, alternatives, investors can look at hedge funds. Uh, who, who apply a lot of these strategies, they use arbitrage strategies, long short equities, uh, or even long short credit strategies, um, event driven strategies, you know, turnaround stories, uh, and sometimes a distressed or special situation. And you're seeing Royal Bank, you know, we mentioned earlier, Royal Bank, uh, you know, taking some risk and looking at Evergrande debt, uh, you know, hoping for a strong turnaround there to get higher than uh, market yields. So, you know, how, it's not a 60-40 passive approach in this current market. Have to be a bit more active, and uh, you definitely want to do a lot of due diligence in in the uh, the different areas you're looking at. So you know where where can you find those? I mentioned the quality and the long positions, fixed income. Really, the tactical approach is the way to go, uh, and the the long short and the hedge are kind of the stronger areas you want to take a look at. Um, Really, you know, the message here is that 60-40, um, you know, don't get stuck in that fixed income equity uh, portion. We talked last week, definitely your equity should be a little bit more tilted to global these days. Uh, yes, the U.S. has had a good, great run, but, uh, you know, they, they tend to be that growth story. There's a lot more value outside of the U.S. Uh, and, and there's more asset classes than just equity and fixed income. Really look at those alternatives uh, and those niche uh, th those niche areas of growth that you can take advantage of uh, in a portfolio that will really out or non-correlate and outperform the underlying marketplace. You don't necessarily want to be index-based. You will really want to find the diamonds in the rough 
uh, in those portfolios. You know, and you might forego a little bit of uh, positive returns in the short term in order to position your, yourself for a lot lower volatility. Because re really remember, um, it, when in a volatile market, one of the one of the more important strategies is to avoid too much of the pullback. Because if you have a million dollars invested and it goes down 20% to 800,000, uh, and then the markets go back up 20%, remember you're not at break even because your 800,000 going up 20% doesn't get you back to a million. So if the market falls 20 and your portfolio only falls five um, and the market goes back up 20 and you, even if you only catch half of that, 10%, you're still in a better financial position than if you went for the full ride. So that's where the tactical really comes into play. You know, be smart. Uh, reach out to us if you want to look at your portfolio, uh, you know, to discuss, you know, what's happening in there uh, tactically. Uh, or if you want us to review uh, an external portfolio uh, outside of Canaccord uh, to see what's in there and, and what might be at risk or what might you really want to look deeper into uh, going forward. So with that, that's all I have for this week. I know it was a longer one. Really appreciate your patience. Remember, go to Mike on Money. Uh, give us uh, your comments. Reach out to us. Uh, also, any ideas for our deep dive videos uh, that you want to, to see or hear about, Happy to dive into those uh, and, uh, and give you some more updates. But with that, I'll let you go enjoy your day. Thanks very much for joining us. Take care, everyone. Bye for now.